Rodrigo, what do you think of uh, shrimp and pasta stew? Oh, that sounds pretty good. You like garlic's, garlic skillet meatballs? Yeah. What did you have for dinner tonight? I had a hot dog. A hot dog? Yeah. Do you know what is in a hot dog? Uh, no. That, and I prefer to keep it that way. Okay. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to HelloFresh.com. Okay. HelloFresh.com has everything you need to make a good, healthy meal like apricot glazed chicken in 35 minutes or less. Cooking made easy. Here's what happens. Every week, the chefs at HelloFresh create delicious recipes. You pick what you like. So maybe you don't like uh, uh, apricot glazed chicken, although I know you like apricots. And chicken. Uh, and chicken. Perhaps you would like, I don't know, something vegetarian. They have vegetarian meals. You pick them out. What they do is they send all the ingredients that you need to make something delicious directly to your door. Great ingredients, farm fresh ingredients, and then you don't have to worry about it. Wow. It's right there at your door. You cook it, you make it, you eat it. You're not eating hot dogs. You're not eating fast foods. You're not. And I'm glad they don't don't have hot dogs because if they send you all the ingredients of a hot dog, that would be pretty terrible. Listeners, you can visit HelloFresh and check out if they deliver in your area. And when you use the checkout code MAJOR50, check this out. You get 50% off your first weekly delivery. 50%? 50% off just by using the checkout code MAJOR50. That's HelloFresh.com. We thank them for supporting this episode of Zach on Film. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. After a long trip from Paris, you have landed in a city, hoping to luck your way into a flight to Lisbon with a final destination of America. While you wait, listen to this week's episode of Zach on Film as we talk Casablanca. Hey, Zach, can you notice anybody uh, familiar in this movie? Casablanca, uh, 1942? Two people. Just two? two just, well, there's probably more, but that's who stuck out originally. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Humphrey Bogart okay. back in the main role. And where and have we seen him before? Where have you seen him before? We have seen him in The Maltese Falcon. Okay. And then we have Peter Lore, who gets taken out of the film uh, early on. We have seen him in M and the Maltese Falcon and, okay. and Casablanca. Okay. And who else? That's all I really noticed. The fat who man who runs the, uh, oh, yeah, the yeah, coffee yeah, yeah. shop who, also from who's... Casablanca. Or was he also Maltese from? Falcon. Yeah, Maltese, Maltese Falcon. Falcon oh, okay, I mean. yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, the guy at the beginning who is flashing the secret uh, under mm-hmm. the underground ring, ring. Do you know where he's from? No, I don't. I'm almost positive that he is the forger from... The Great Escape. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Which guy? The guy that uh, is the uh, underground movement guy that's flashing the ring. He's like, hey, would you be interested in buying a ring? Uh, and he's really trying to let um, let the, the two characters know that he's part of the underground movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. So uh, give us a rundown of this movie, Zach. So what Casablanca is about is uh, Casablanca is this kind of stopover spot. Uh, during World War II for people trying to escape occupied France and make their way over to America. And uh, while there, we see Rick, who owns a little uh, cafe pub thing, a tavern. Mm-hmm. And a lot of shady things happen in Casablanca because people are trying to get papers to get out of this country to escape to America and uh, leave the war. And so there's a lot of black market things going on. And we open up 
and two German uh, post-carrier soldier kind of guys got murdered. Uh, and their papers that would uh, allow someone to leave for America were stolen. And these are very valuable in Casablanca because getting one of those visas to leave is hard to come by and can generally cost a lot of money. Yes. And then some resistance fighters for uh, France end up that uh, in Casablanca with uh, what's his name? Let's Lutzel. Lulz? Lulz. I don't remember. <laughs> L-O-L-Z. Laszlo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Laszlo. Uh, he, he's, he's high up on the Third Reich's kind of hit list because he's escaped uh, concentration camps before, and he's avoided capture and escaped from them multiple times, and he's kind of a, a leader guy in this underground resistance, and uh, so the, the the Germans, they're there, the, the leader, the, one of the leaders of the Third Reich is there to follow up on this murder and to make sure he doesn't escape. And there, then there was a love story between Humphrey Bogart's character and uh, uh, another lady that stems all the way back, back to Paris, because they always have that. And there's a nice little love story in there, and it all ends kind of nicely walking away in the fog. <laughs> he kind of skipped over a bunch of stuff. Well, there. I mean, yeah. yeah. What, did, what did he oh, skip goodness. over? That's kind of the crux of the story, Rodrigo. <laughs> uh, I the the crux of the love story is that. You kind of don't know uh, if uh, Rick, uh, Humphrey Bogart's character, is going to help this other guy who is the husband of the girl he's in love with escape to America. If he's going to turn him in and then he's going to take off with the girl. If he's just going to leave him there and take off with the girl. If he's just going to send the girl. Like You just don't know exactly what he's going to do. Um, meanwhile, there's a lot of pressure being applied because the Germans are there. Right. There's a... A garrison, basically, from the Third Reich just hanging out there. And um, another, uh, the, uh, a very important character, there's this corrupt French official mm-hmm. who is not going <laughs> to stick out for anybody. Like, wh- wherever, whoever has the upper hand, that's kind of the, the team that he's playing for. Right. Just a quick clarification. It's not Donald Pleasance. Uh, it's uh, Donald Quinlan, who I was mistaken, or John mm-hmm. Quinlan. Who I was yeah. mistaken as the same character. They look a lot alike from the younger younger days and from they profile. they actually, very much do actually because um, I thought that myself. So here's the thing: if I were to ask you, Zach, who is the who is the most virtuous person in this movie? Who is the most righteous? Who is the oh, most man. innocent person in this whole movie? Who would, who would you pick? The uh, most innocent person in this movie. Would probably be Mr. Resistance Man. Why? Laszlo. 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 I can't remember his name. Why? Um, well, Laszlo never really double crosses anyone. He kind of has his agenda and just kind of goes with it. I don't know. Everyone kind of sucks in this movie yeah. to an extent. Everybody is everybody is bad in Casablanca. Yeah. There is not a you know, I I would say it would be very hard to find a virtuous person. You know, you know, uh, who, you know who was in good in this movie is the young couple trying no. to escape Casablanca. No, they're what? even wrong. No. He is gambling their savings so he can bribe the government official right. so they can get their papers. But, she is uh, willing to sleep with yeah, the sure. police chief uh-huh. so that they can get out. There is one virtuous person in Casablanca. 
and they keep yelling at him because of the song he keeps playing. Yes, that's true. Yeah, if there's it, one if, person who's pretty much on the level, it's Sam. It's Sam. Yeah, yeah he I pretty would, much. But he, you know, he comes and goes. He's like in there for like the first thirty minutes of the movie, and then he's gone. Oh yeah, which is he's, I think he's very interesting. Sam's more of a plot device than than really right. a, a character a lot of the time. What I found interesting about Sam's character is you're right. He is probably the most virtuous person. He just wants to. Hey, no trouble. Hey, let's let it go. Hey, let's not dredge up these things. But what's weird is up until uh, Rick yells at Sam to get out and go home, he's like in every scene because he's the musical mm-hmm. number in the piece. I mean, we know that those two are tied to the waist in in uh, Paris. And yet the minute things get tough, he disappears from the whole movie in that second half of the movie, which I found very, very strange because if. You would think that if Rick is about to to go on the lamb, uh, Sam would be right there with him. Well, and but it, it, in the end, I mean, and that's true because I think, in fact, the main reason why Sam is there as a character is to bring things out of Rick, right? And to a lesser degree, uh, Elsa. Uh, and and that's the thing is like once he's done extracting the exposition from the characters, he disappears. And then he just gets mentioned, right? right? He goes to the guy who runs the Blue Parrot, Rick does, mm-hmm. and he arranges for Sam to do this, but he has no agency there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't get a say as to whether the cafe closes or who it belongs right. to or whatever. Right. He just, it just gets, he literally, like, property gets passed to somebody else, mm-hmm. and then Rick beats it out of town. Right. Which, yeah. There, there I mean... Obviously, the police chief is a very bad person. Mm-hmm. Hey, all the pretty ladies, let's make sure that they get into some dire straits to where they have to come to me for help, and then I will sleep with them and move on. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's definitely – you can bribe him. He is, um, throughout the entire movie, very – I don't want to say sympathetic, but he is um, – he has no he's, hatred for the Germans. Right. And, of course, the Germans are just, just like they're doing in, in Vichy, uh, France. Um just telling him what to do and he has to do it. Hey, close down this cafe. Why? Well, you'll think of some reason. He just says this bar's closed. Um, so he's not a good person. Uh, Ilsa, I'm shocked to find that gambling is going gambling. On. Oh, here's your, uh, here's your cut of the, the takes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a great line. Oh yeah. Um, and there, well, we'll get back to this. Some of the uh, dialogue here in a little bit. Um, Ilsa is not, you know, innocent. I mean, she's having an affair. Now, granted, she thought her husband was dead. Sure. And she was all right. alone. And then as soon as she found out that he was alive, she went back with him. Um, but, you know, she's not innocent I mean, she, in all this. She, uh, it, through, for the main character, she might be the most innocent. No, I don't think so. I, well, because she's she, re- ready to leave her husband. Oh, ready to leave her husband after she she's, thought he was dead and developed a relationship. Once he found she found out he was alive, left the relationship and went back to her husband virtuously. She's and then considering was to kill his love, kind of. She's considering leaving her husband. I mean, when we say virtuous, I don't think virtuous is is the thing we're looking at here. Everybody in this film has an ambiguity to their morality. But even if you look at her, she's never played as malicious. Yeah. I mean, she loves her husband. She loves Rick. Mm-hmm. She considers leaving her husband for Rick. I don't necessarily think that she's ready to leave her husband any more. Oh, than, she does. You know, I mean, that's why at the, at the very end when Rick's like, you're getting on that plane, she's like, but I thought we were going to run away. She's considering it. She, I mean, she wants both things. Even Renault at the end of the film 
where, you know, Captain Renault could lock Rick away and throw him off. In, and, and by the way, they said concentration camp in this movie. And holy crap, that scared me. Um, I don't remember that line from any previous viewing. But, you know, even Renault at the end, he's ambiguous. It's not that he's out to get Rick. It's not that he's necessarily even a, a good law enforcer. He just has things that he does where he will go back and forth across that line of morality. Right. And, and I, But I think that, that at the end – at the end, especially for the inspector, he has a, a real change of, well, you shot a German. That does mean that people can't stand up to these guys without repercussions, and I'm going to help you escape, and we're going to go do our own adventure somewhere else. It's not like they walked off into the fog, and he's mm-hmm. going to continue being the chief of police, right, and right, he's going to continue yeah. to own his, his cafe because right. they got to go on the lamb after this. Yeah, But something has to change. And if well, you look at – I mean – even the part about Rick. Why is Rick forced to stay in Casablanca and can't go home to America? We don't know. Why are these characters in these straits? It's very, very ambiguous. It's left up to us to make our own thing. So I don't necessarily look at this movie as a question of who's virtuous and who's not virtuous. To some degree, everybody makes at least one vaguely heroic move in, in, in the movie with the exception of course of, you know, the Nazis. And I think that that, that should tell you something about where this movie is coming from. They, they, they're not necessarily looking at this and I'm, I'm kind of surprised the stuff they got away with under, would this be under oh, Hayes yeah. code? No, that would be 1942. So, okay. um, it'd certainly be- fall under a production code Yeah, at that point. But yeah, I mean, there's, what I'm getting at is don't look at any of these characters as shining examples of how we should lead our lives. People are always <laughs> like, oh, I want to be Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Oh, you want to cheat people. You want to mm-hmm. sleep around. You want to, uh, you want get to in bed that, with the corrupt government, you know, really trustworthy guy yes. in a scummy part of town he's doing things looking, that right. He's only looking out and for himself. That's but an interesting thing. The nice thing is he does have this little heart of gold that right. in, with the return of uh, Ilsa, the little warmth in his heart starts to shine through, especially when the girl comes up and says, oh, do you think I should sleep with this guy? Is it is it OK? Is he going to keep his word? And Rick basically works it out to where he gives the guy money. Right. And it's all in his mind above the board. Um, and everyone goes scot free. And then, of course, he has the big change of heart saying, hey, my the three of us right. ma- ma- don't amount to a hill of beans. You know, we are. L- less important than mm-hmm. what's going on in this world thing. Now I want to get back involved right. with this. And the reason I think people would gravitate towards, oh, I want to be Humphrey Bogart or I, I want someone like Humphrey Bogart in my life is because the scene where he gets all the money for the couple so they can get their visas to leave and then his final decision at the end to let them leave mm-hmm. uh, are mm-hmm. such dynamically opposed to everyone else's actions in this entire movie that they're get, get a huge spotlight shown on them. Like everyone in his cafe is like, Oh, I can't believe you do this. Cause no one is nice in Casablanca ever. Right. Well, That's especially, not and they've never seen Rick be nice to anyone. Right. And so, and, the, and when that stuff, stuff like that happens in romance movies, people kind of, will forget the crappy part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, have you ever seen 500 Days of Summer? Yes, Joseph sure. it was, he talked about um, girls have always said, oh, he they would want to date someone like 
his character in that movie. And he's like, no, you're all insane. He's one of the most selfish people that I've ever portrayed in a movie. He's horrible. Why mm-hmm. would anyone want this? It's because there are certain sure. scenes where yeah, he's everything. there's a it's cute scene when they're shopping at Ikea and that's great no I would love to do that and now, you just have to block out other stuff the, the thing is the thing with Casablanca is that I think to say is like well he's a criminal and he's like in bed with a corrupt government or whatever the movie does a great job of establishing a world in which there's only two types of people there's um, the Nazis and everyone else. Yeah, the Nazis and everyone else. It's like the Nazis. It's like if the government is corrupt, then a criminal can be a hero, right? And that's that's the deal with Casablanca. Is you know when people say that they want to be or that they look up to that character, it is because you know he is a secret, secretly a softie. You know they talk about his cafe being a place where a lot of papers do get. Mm-hmm. Moved around, and he's like, "Oh, I never get involved." But he foster—he clearly fosters it, right? Right. Um, you know, from the beginning, um, Renault pegs him as a sentimentalist, mm-hmm. and he can tell—he can tell from the very beginning. He's like, "You are by the end of this movie, you're gonna do something stupid." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and he does, and he totally does. I mean, in a lot of ways, Renault's kind of the chorus because mm-hmm. he's not really involved right. until the very end. Um, he just kind of does what he's told, but he's the one who says, oh, that's, you're breaking precedent. Oh, that's weird. Oh, that's never happened mm-hmm. before. Hey, everybody, these are the Germans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, and I think what's important about the Renault character is that he has to be the observer, the constant observer, if he's going to keep a control over Casablanca. So, yeah, he's corrupt official, but he has to keep his hands and his fingers in all the pots of what's going on. Otherwise, he loses complete control, and it makes it that much easier for the Germans to just move in and take over uh, Morocco. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that from the story. I just brought that up because it's like, well, you know, we do have to realize that these people are not mm-hmm. not fantastic. Mm-hmm. But there, I think there are some, you know, I think it is admirable that Rick would just say, hey, man, go ahead and bet on 22. And that's the secret code word to let the guy win. And get all this money. That's that's great. I like that. I mean, I do like the character of Rick. Well, and all of his employees love him, right? It, yes, very right. early on, you can tell. And, like, at no point does he abuse them no, or bother he's them. he's very fair. He's very helpful to mm-hmm. them. Like, the bar gets closed down and he sends them home with pay. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, in to... to, to uh, I, 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 I'm not I, saying I, he's I a, a villain. I mean, yeah, don't get well, me wrong. I'm I, not saying he's... He's a villain, or that he's a yeah. a, a bad person. The movie I does, just don't think that he's a the the movie does innocent a, person. Well, no, because he's an adult, right? The movie does a the movie does a great job of creating a situation in which um, a criminal can is is the guy you're rooting for, mm-hmm. and that's that's because it shows you that everyone else is worse than him, right? Right. And except I think they do for, a good job, except for the people that he's helping, except for you know Laszlo, who's like just this freedom fighter mm-hmm. and you know the girl that they're both chasing after who is also kind of a freedom fighter mm-hmm. you know you mentioned uh, that they've they've built this world they you know the writers the director everybody i think not only built this world well they literally built this world because it was all shot in a soundstage sure um but i've watched this movie a dozen times and it's only this time that it really clicked on me that there are the four main characters. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your tertiary characters of, of Carl, the bar um, waiter, and then the, the Germans and all this stuff. 
But there's a whole world of tertiary characters yeah. mm-hmm. that keep popping up again and again. Yep. And you yep. can follow that young married couple throughout the whole movie yeah. and watch their whole flight to freedom. The old couple, you get to see what they're doing. You get to see what the underground movement is doing throughout the whole thing. I watched it this time. I was like, holy crap, this world is – I love how they weaved all these minor character stories throughout yep. the you, piece mm-hmm. to where you get something that is greater than just – yeah, Rick I mean, and you, Elsa and and uh, uh, Laszlo. It's not it's not hugely important, but you start hearing about the blue parrot mm-hmm. from the beginning, like an hour before you ever go to that location. In right. fact, while I was watching this, I didn't remember whether we ever made it to the blue parrot or not. I just thought there was always going to be this thing that got mentioned, mm-hmm. and eventually, you, you you know the the action does go there, and I was like, oh. I bet that parrot wasn't actually blue when they shot it, but it's black and white, so who they, cares? They did uh, color it in the 80s of one of those Ted uh-huh. Turner things, so maybe it was blue by the time they yeah, got that. They uh, uh-huh. um, That's the first time I saw this movie, actually. Was colorized? It colorized in the 80s, Ugh, and I watched I'm it sorry. because I'm like, well, what is this colorizing thing? I'm going to check this out. I, yeah. uh, so I really, I really liked how they just weaved a very complex yeah. character stories throughout this entire thing. Oh, I really liked the, the pickpocket guy. Yes. Because he he establishes in the very beginning that they just round up the normal people and things that happens and then steal the guy's wallet. Yeah, and then so that and then it gives us the moment where he steals another guy's wallet at the end and then he bumps the major D kind of guy and he checks his wallet and then it lets us know at the end when he says round up the regional specs like this is something they normally do. Yes, and it was nice. Yeah, it was cool. And and going now going over to the dialogue, there are some like they don't come out and say. I had an affair or I slept with him or anything mm-hmm. like that. But there are some there are some things that are mentioned that I'm sure people in the day were like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And that the code people just didn't understand. It's like uh, Renault is like, oh, I've been watching Laszlo more closely or something along those lines. And Rick says, oh, I didn't know that he was that open minded, meaning that not only is he <laughs> sleep with women, but he's also interested in men now, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whoa, that that got by a censor board of of some type of the time period. And I, I found that very surprising. Sure. Um, there was I forget what the other there's just some other dialogue that just really stood out as, wow, that is I'm surprised that that got through a any kind of a review board. Uh-huh. Did you notice? Did you notice those things, Zach? No, not really. Go back. Go. Oh, well, there you go. You should you should <laughs> have a feature in censorship. <laughs> <laughs> What were you going to say, Matthew? Were there some bits that that surprised you too? There are bits that surprised me, not necessarily dialogue related, but yeah, the stuff that they got away with in here. And I know that you know they make a point of saying that oh, she thought Laszlo was dead, but there's that line where she's like, "He was my husband then, just like now," and I'm like, "Ooh, you know, out of context, you've just said that Ingrid Bergman was was sleeping around in, in Paris." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are there are some references. Well, and, and Laszlo asks her, he goes, um, were you lonely? And she's like, yes. He goes, I know what loneliness feels like. So there's almost this implication right, that right. Ah, I've done the same thing, too. Right, so right. it's OK. Yeah. And there I mean, there are some interesting references. And again, for 1942, I'm always surprised when I put this in its actual place in history. There's a lot of stuff here. Referring to, you know, what was going on in World War right. II. This is mm-hmm. right in the middle of the yes. war. Well, in fact, uh, the original um, – some of the original crew members actually left the production of Casablanca because it started 
the actual production started right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, so the movie was in, in the process of production. Mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor happens, and then a lot of people left to go work on uh, Why We Fight, uh, the, the documentary pro- – uh, the what is it called? The promotional uh, – Propaganda Propaganda film, film mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, John uh, – John Ford? I forget who did that. Um, look it up, Zach. Why okay. we fight? Okay. Um, but they had to leave that, and they had to bring in a whole new group of people to to work on this film. So yeah, that's the that's the crazy thing is the studio is t- is telling a story of things that are happening within the last couple of years in yes. in uh, Europe, and it suddenly becomes a war movie, yeah, a, 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 of sorts instead of just a romance movie about all that craziness that's going on in Europe. Yeah. My my brain always wants to place this. As a post-war film right, or a movie right. made post-war about what just happened. And this is, I mean, this is a really, really strong piece that happened right in the middle of the war. I honestly did not know and didn't realize until this this particular watching that the concentration camps were known to be a thing in 1942. The point where where uh, Rick and, and Renault are talking, they're like, he's like, I'll be in a concentration camp. Renault is like, I'm afraid they'd insist. Well, well, that, what were they called? Kind of what were they called here in America? Detainment centers? Yes. Uh, relocation relocation camps. centers or whatever they were. Relocation camps. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's not a it's not a big stretch. But well, it, and, it, and the know, other thing the other thing is, is that if you they are of, not they're not in the United States. They're not in right, the Americas. Right. So there they are someplace that's full of refugees. So people have escaped concentration camps and gone to Casablanca, like yeah. there. It well, makes sense. Well, I think what Matthew's getting at is he's just surprised oh, that, that in American that, film oh, that, that, they, that they would know that, that these concentration camps are there. But if you think about, up. you know, uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge history person, so take this in in that light. Mm-hmm. A concentration camp is a concentration of people. Even as Americans, we can say in 1942 there are concentration camps where right. they're putting prisoners right. of war. We still did not know of the true. Uh, yeah. Right, the horrors that were going after, on. It's it's possible that after World War II, the word concentration camp took came to mean something. Took time. took took a different meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank and Capra. of course, Frank Capra. There you go. Thank you. And of course, the sequence where Laszlo is like, "Play the Marseillaise." <laughs> that is incredibly powerful for me. Yeah. You know, knowing what I know about the the people in that and, sequence, and it's and it's it's interesting. To see kind of where this movie fits into the um, kind of that American raw um, arc that movies uh, have, have have really taken on, because although you do have an American at the center of things, there are no other Americans. Everyone else is European who's mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Um, and the big rallying song. It's not mm-hmm. the you know it's not the American national anthem. It's the French national anthem, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it gets it gets a big moment, and right. it's you know even if you've never heard the Marseillaise before, like it sounds like it it turns it literally turns the tide of the movie, right? Yeah, because at that point the Germans are like, look what happens. We can't even let yep. this guy stay in Casablanca, right? Because mm-hmm. he's look what he's doing here. What what we've got to take care of him. We got to take him out now, right? right. I mean, they just don't know what to do with him. Yeah. They just want to kill him. And it and it shows. I mean, it that scene is really good oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's not just the French people singing it. It's everybody. They establish that there are um, 
people from Poland, people mm-hmm. from all these other places. There's that uh, guitar uh, player. Right. Who, she's singing in Spanish, so I assume she's Spanish. Right. Um, it's and not, a, she, not and, a stretch to go yeah, from Spain yeah, 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 to Morocco. Yeah. And, and she sings along with mm-hmm. the Marseillaise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody, everybody who's not on the German side right. rallies around this song. You know, if you were going to say that, you know, where's the propaganda in this film? That is the big propaganda yeah, movement yeah. uh, in oh, this movie. Just so, again, we have to strike home that these Germans can't get away with this, even though it's not American. Mm-hmm. Here's a French song to propagandize the war and, and show that we need to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What else, uh, Zach, do you want to bring into this conversation at this point? Um, just story-wise, I, I thought it was interesting how many foreign languages they use in this film with mm-hmm. no subtitles at mm-hmm. all. I mean, they do the flashback to France, and you're getting, I believe it oh, was German over the bullhorns, yes. and they mm-hmm. kind of summarize at the end, but I mean, they talk for a while. They didn't really speak much to it. I mean, you kind of get a gist of what's happening. Uh there's a bunch of Italian guys that just kind of just oh, ramble man. through that scenes was, and just kind of say that stuff. That was the greatest part where you oh, have yeah. like the Italian and the French guy, mm-hmm. the two officers, are just arguing back and forth with one another as they walk through yeah. the scene yeah, each yeah. and every time. It's just like that is brilliant. That was really yeah, well so done. I mean, uh, even, even when they're singing the French national anthem, you have no idea. I have no idea what they're saying because it's all in French. And I realized they were singing uh, the French national anthem eventually after they start yelling Viva France. Mm-hmm. And I assume they were sing- <laughs> singing the German national anthem. Uh, they were just the German, singing some German, some German song. song. It was a German, like, yeah. yay, yay, yay socialist party song. Yay, Reich. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in a lot of, I mean, what you've kind of said, hit on it a couple of times, and what I've read online is people will say, this is one of the movies that, uh, just gets better and better even every time you watch it, even though it kind of has this simplistic storyline and to a degree it just hits on everything so well from yeah. the 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 way that studio movies are being made at the time mm-hmm. that it just surpasses everything that happened and, and obviously their expectations yeah. of what, when they made the movie of what, how they thought it was going to do and the surpassed f- all that. First time I watched this was in college and it was, must've been on a Friday or Saturday night. And I can't remember if it was uh smoky Hill or just another non uh, network television channel, but they would run like classic movies at like 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. 12. Well, it'd have to be later than that. Cause it'd have to be after regular news. But I remember just flipping through the channel one night and going, oh, Casablanca, I should finally sit down and watch this. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've since then, over the last 25 years, um, I've watched it about a dozen times. And I got to say, this is the time that I found it the most, the most pleasant experience that I've had with hmm. the story. Uh, the most engaging. I got the most out of it. I knew more about – I knew more about the history of what was going mm-hmm. on at the time and the importance. And you can read a lot more of the subtlety and maybe I just wasn't paying attention to so much other stuff because it was always like, oh, it's this love story between these two people. But I think it's the – everything surrounding that love story that really makes this an entertaining and engaging movie. and makes it feel really, really complete for some reason. So – um. One of the things why this may feel a little international, Zach, and, and kind of move into this topic that we'll get to here in just a minute, mm-hmm. is you have to remember that your director and cinematographer are both European oh, and had immigrated over to the United States in the you know about the same time Peter Lorre and all these <laughs> other guys were escaping Germany and Hungary and, mm-hmm. and and all these places was to get out of there and they're trying to find work and here they come in 
and they do a, a, a movie like this. Um, let me give you a, a little uh, tease before we get into our, our list of uh, sponsors here. The director of photography for this movie, Arthur Edson, mm-hmm. uh, Casablanca came out in 1942. Right. 1941, there was another movie that he worked on. We'll tell you what that movie was in just a moment. Okay, let's get, give a shout out to our associate producers. They are this week Peter Jeunesse, Douglas Connors, John Luckett, Ray Arvid Gregerson, John Alderman, Jason LeClaire, Jason Fowler, Kyle Von Haren, Sigborn Ickness, Tan Kenneth, George Ward, Robert Taylor, Benjamin Witt, Scott Santos, and Andre Dickinson. Thank you one and all for donating to Major Spoilers and being our associate producers this week on Zach on Film. So Arthur Edson, director of cinematography. What does the director of cinematography do again, Zach, for listeners uh, who are listening for the first time? That would time? be lighting, props, but not really props, lighting. lighting, lighting, a lot of lighting stuff. Yeah, Put in the camera, camera place. Yep. Movie that he worked on in 1941, The Maltese Falcon. Ooh, very mm-hmm. nice. When you know that, and this is, mm-hmm. we should have made this month Humphrey Bogart month and just watched <laughs> Maltese Falcon and Casablanca and Treasure of the Sierra Madre and mm-hmm. just put it all together because what's really crazy, and this gets into uh, what we were talking about earlier this week on the Major Spoilers podcast when we were talking about um, the potential director for Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. how directors bring and directors of photography bring what they know from film to film to film. And there are striking similarities between the shots and the lighting used mm-hmm. in the Maltese Falcon, and reused again in Casablanca. Uh, there's a great, you know, mm-hmm. one of them that will pop out in most people's minds is we know in the Maltese Falcon there's this shot where the light's streaming through the window and you see Archer and Spade uh, from the window cast as a shadow on the floor. That happens it's in fun. this movie too in the exact same framing and in the exact yeah. same way. Really? Um, 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 Edson uh, or Edison um, uses lighting that's really impossible in, in the real world, like lights down below casting shadows upwards mm-hmm. to create a lot of uh, texture in the background, mm-hmm. uh, I find really interesting. But man, I am totally sucked into the whole lighting style of this movie. Yeah. This movie, when it comes to lighting, has got to be one of the best lit movies I have ever seen. Now, the bad thing is it calls attention to itself. Oh, yeah, yeah it does. Oh, oh. But... It is so well done because of the way that he does this depth of lighting throughout the entire scene to where, you know, the, the biggest scene that, that we talk about is when he's when Rick is drunk and Sam is playing and then she walks in a little bit later on. From the very first moment, Zach, uh, Rick is lit. I mean, he's in darkness because mm-hmm. uh, this is really the only time he's lit dark in in the whole movie. And then. You've got darkness behind him. You've got a little bit of rim light so that he's separated from the from the dark background. Then you've got Sam that's lit, and then you've got some more darkness, but it's cut through by the light from the airport sweeping through the scene. And then way, 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 way back, you've got a light hitting just in the right spot to illuminate the doorway. Mm-hmm. And just throughout the whole movie, obviously, you can only do this in a set mm-hmm. because you have complete control over the lighting. This could not have been done on any kind of location shoot. <laughs> Um, but I just the lighting in this is just blows me away each and every time. Have any thoughts on on this, Rodrigo? Yeah, I think it 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 has real kind of theatrical lighting, mm-hmm. lighting, um, and it does it to create effect. And you're right, it does kind of call attention to itself. Like I probably um, 
there's this moment where Rick and Renault are talking and Rick walks over to get something and all of a sudden you see his his silhouette up mm-hmm. against the light. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the only time it happens in the movie. And I, I like and it's emphasizing something important, mm-hmm. but it's I was like, bah. Like mm-hmm. it works and it looks good, but also it's very obvious right you know there's a it's like look at this cool shot yeah all of a sudden and i think it does that a lot when it goes in for the tight shots mm-hmm. um you i mean so they're doing the flashback in paris was the most notable i think i can remember or maybe they're in rick's apartment i don't remember uh they do a tight up of elsa and so they have I mean, throughout the whole movie, all the tights up are like super beauty glam shots. Well, with her, they're definitely yeah, soft, they're soft, super, yeah. super rim light on her head, soft focus, and she just looks. I mean, she looks fantastic on the screen. And then they pull back to the two shot, and it's kind of muted, and there's yeah. no way that that lighting was even possible in this room. <laughs> uh, and that happens a lot throughout this, I thought, especially with Elsa. And then other characters can. Uh, Rick gets every once in a while too, but that. The rim lights just go crazy in the tights, and then you pull back like, well, where'd all that crazy light yeah. go? And, and, and that's the thing is, like, it's not just that they're setting up a scene mm-hmm. and then zooming in and zooming out. Right. Oh, no. Because obviously, because yeah. there's no zoom. Well, I mean, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, trucking yeah, in and trucking yeah, out. Yeah. Um, they are, each individual shot is its own little mm-hmm. tableau. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of go back and forth with that. There is a great analysis that I think you should read. It's over at uh, guruoffilm.com where the writer goes in and just goes into an in-depth analysis about what the lighting means in every scene. Why in all the rest of the movie do we see Rick, we see his face lit evenly and, and brightly yet in this one scene where he's drunk, it's completely dark and, and uh, it breaks it down. And then you can go online and you can find some lighting diagrams of how they lit certain scenes in the movie and I think if you want to go in and study mm-hmm. lighting, this is a film to really see how they do yeah. do that. I, now, granted, again, it's a studio film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is totally not realistic. You couldn't do something like that in um, in a location because you know you've got ceilings in location. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Don't have, yeah. you don't have you don't have a ten k. You have ceilings. You don't have a ten k <laughs> light. You know, a, a two stories up, uh, lighting up the the hallway and the room so that everybody has a nice room light yeah. uh, on them. Yeah. I mean, just don't have that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I would go check out GuruOfFilm.com. Yeah, the, it has a really good article. The lighting struck me a lot. And in this movie in particular, I thought the use of camera movements and then just the well of placing everyone really struck me in this. Uh, there's a lot of scenes where they'll... Uh, we're kind of right in the cafe the first part of the movie and Rick's given an order and he's with the, the police guy. And so they're kind of pulled out with three guys at a table and the waiter and everything's framed nice and evenly. Everyone's in the quadrant and they truck in and it just becomes uh Rick and policeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, there was a lot of camera movement I thought in this, which was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. A lot of dolly. There's a lot of, a lot of dollying in a lot of trucking mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. which made it really feel interesting. And, just the, the the placing of people I thought was really well in this. And it felt this felt like a transitional phase between film filming a stage play and kind of moving into experimenting what we can do with film. So again, remember, 
these are Europeans and yeah. they're bringing in oh, their very sure. European style. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about film noir and we talk about the movie M, those people who are working in Germany, who are working in France, who are working in Poland and all these places in Europe are now in America and they're able to take Doing what things. they've been bringing yeah. from America to here. This is actually a very and, – and, and I guess – and again, you'll read this over at the Guru Film uh, article. He claims that this is a noir film just in the way that it's mm-hmm. lit and the way that on. it's shot yeah. uh, and the angles that are used compared – and again, Casablanca or um, um, Maltese Falcon, Falcon is certainly that. Um, but this is almost a way of bridging the popularity of noir in modern America cinema mm-hmm. into – Modern America cinema, yeah. even though we did have the Maltese Falcon, you kind of have to have that shooting style for a detective story. But here in a love story, you can bring noir into this setting yeah. works really, really well. Well, and it's a great it's a great example of um, it's it's just a, a series of it's just a group of film techniques, right? That right, may, that right. give you a very sharp looking, like sharp, tight looking movie, right? And it just so happens that they work really well for mystery and mm-hmm. they work really well for detective stuff. So noir became uh, synonymous with the detective movie because it worked so well. And because anytime somebody wanted to do a detective film, then they went and they copied the Maltese Falcon. Right. And Casablanca to a certain mm-hmm. degree. But it's kind of like um, you ever see you ever watch Saturday Night Live or like any show and they do a parody of a game show from like the 60s mm-hmm. or 70s and they play that like it's like that's not game show music that's the music they were into at the time and yeah, they just yeah. are like oh this sounds cool this will make my game show sound good right, right, right. but it has in retrospect become game show music cuz it's game shows are the only Places where that music survives. Right. It's going to be yeah. like uh, in, in 20 years, dubstep's only going to be associated with like extreme sport yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, videos, sure. like yeah. bike videos, Power skateboard range. videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Power absolutely. Creatures. And it's like you can shoot you can shoot a love story in a noir style and not even be like, why isn't anybody, why isn't there any detective work right, happening right, right, right. here? You know, I mean, you can do it. Maybe now you can't. Maybe it's it, it would be maybe now you would be fighting your audience on it. But when this was first happening, you know, it's like you can, you know, maybe back in like uh, 2000, you could have put bullet time stuff in a romantic comedy and people would have, would have just been like, yeah, bullet time's cool. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean action or whatever. Right. I mean, that's true because you before that you saw it in like music videos and stuff and it wasn't necessarily the Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that same thing we ran into with Rocky is they're they're putting together what would become the building blocks of that noir style here. And even though there are movies that predate this, I think that a lot of what we know of noir movies is actually not necessarily from here, but definitely influenced by this movie. Well, and actually Rocky is a great example because um, the technique that is montage has existed like for a hundred years before Rocky, right? But, Rocky did something to it. Rocky turned it into that passage of time training montage. And nowadays, that's almost the only thing that you see a montage for other than like trying out like night on the town, like trying out clothes type montages like or like makeover type stuff. And it is really kind of the same thing, too, is that kind of self-improvement montage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And that's that's kind of like Rocky took that and like accidentally in the process of making a good movie codified it into something that was so strong and so uh like specific 
that now it's difficult not to think of it that way. And and in a way, the Maltese Falcon did that to that noir style. Uh, speaking of Rocky, last week we were talking about um, how movies get on these lists and these kinds of things. And we were talking about the National Film uh, – the American Film Institute – and how they come up with the list and what goes on. Uh, I was doing some more research on the National Film Registry. Um, you just do some minor searching. You know, this is run by the um, uh, Library of Congress. And so the Librarian of Congress is the one who ultimately and his group of people, his committee, um, ultimately make the decision on which films will be allowed in. But here's the interesting thing. Anyone can nominate any movie to be considered a national treasure. Mm -hmm. So American films, obviously, because we're talking about American. And that's what the national film preservation board is all is very interested in. But every year they open it up and people can submit films. Now the films have to be, uh, I think the films have to be at least 10 years old before you can nominate them. Um, So here's what they say. The library in Congress, James H. Billington, who's been there since 1987. He's the longest running uh, librarian of Congress ever uh, to be eligible for the registry. A film must be at least 10 years old and culturally, historically or aesthetically con- or aesthetically significant. And then it talks about the um, establishment. This uh, uh, 625 films to date have been added in. And for consideration, you have to limit the limit it to 50 titles per year, but you can forward your recommendations to dross at loc.gov. And you can uh, submit up to 50 titles per year. To be He's considered a letter about surf Nazis must die right now. Um, you know, but here's the thing. So people can, you can, yeah, certainly you can submit surf Nazis must die if you like Matthew, and, but here's the and thing. Team America world police. But here's the thing. Even if a thousand people submit it, mm-hmm. ultimately then this board will say, okay, of the movies that were submitted this year, here are the top 50 of them that have the most votes. And maybe Surf Nazis Must Die is in, in that list. Then they have to go through and they have to consider, do these meet th- right, what right. we consider to be a part of this? Now, I'm going to leave that story there because I've got a line on the person who's in charge, not really the librarian of Congress, although that's who I was hoping that I could talk to. But I've got a line on someone at the Library of Congress Ooh. who um, will hopefully share some more information on this, and hopefully oh, I will think. have that for next week. I've Ooh, got his phone really number exciting. here. I didn't have a chance to call him uh, this week because I tried calling on Friday. Everybody was already out of town. Sure. Uh, but I got his name. I've got his number. I'm going to give him a call, see if we can get him on maybe next week if, if possible cool. to where he can just talk about this entire process I don't know if he'll talk about who is who the makeup of the board is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how many films that they actually consider, what are the other things that they have to consider in doing it. But any film can be nominated by anybody. So it's really American citizens, well, people in America nominating these movies. So, Rodrigo, if you want to nominate a movie, by all means, you've got the uh, D Ross at LOC.gov. Well, you um, can start submitting movies and maybe they will get. Yeah. I mean, Bill and Ted's bogus journey is more than 10 years old. So. Yeah, true. there you go. There you go. And, and they, they do point out that, uh, your voice is important and that's why this, that's why they solicit Man, 10 years old. opinions from people. Talking, my voice is talking important. matrix and all those mm-hmm. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Phantom Menace matrix. is up for consideration matrix will now. probably make it sooner rather than later. Oh, I'm sure matrix will eventually. I don't think Phantom Menace will. Well, so, and again, it goes in a little bit more. Um, The Librarian of Congress, after reviewing public suggestions and considering uh, extensively with film experts and the 44 members of the Film Preservation Board, select 25 films a year to be included in the registry. 
So even though there are tens of thousands of movies that have been made since 1901, (laughs) um, only 25 get to make it into the list each year. Now, you can, you know, just because it doesn't make it this year doesn't mean you can't nominate it again next year. But I think this is the thing that people don't realize is that, hey, I have a voice that I can submit and say this movie does need to be considered. That is interesting. So hopefully I will have somebody on next week and we can uh, talk in depth with that person and see uh, maybe get a half hour. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. And that way people can learn more about it. Absolutely. And the more you know, the more you know. That was beautiful. <laughs> okay, Zach, wrap it up. Okay, that'll be it for this week on Zach on Film. Make sure you go to Majorspoilers.com. You can click on that podcast posting page and give all your thoughts about what we've discussed this week about Casablanca or any thoughts you have of your own about uh, Casablanca. Make sure to click on that Amazon.com link while you're there at Major Spoilers. You can go buy your very own copy of Casablanca or any other films that we've talked about on Zach on Film. It's not going to cost you any extra but a little bit will come back to the site to keep us going week after week so we can continue bringing more free content to you every week. Next week, we will be talking Snatch on Zach on Film. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.